This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. They have everything from Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans. They've got everything you want. I have the Saucy, which is a terrific saucepan. It has curved sides. It has a pouring spout. It has a lid. And it looks so elegant. It's really a pleasure just to look at it on the counter, even before we're using it. Yes, I love all the colors. Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER. Hi, HAPPIER listeners. This is your producer, Kristen. Before we start today's show, we just want to apologize for the slightly tinny sound of Gretchen's audio which was caused by a technical issue during the recording of this week's and next week's episode. Hopefully, you won't even notice. But if you do, we sincerely apologize. Thank you for your patience. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we talk about ideas and tips for living a happier life. This week, we'll talk about why making a to-do list can boost your happiness. And we'll also talk about how your identity can make it harder or easier to change a habit. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, talking to you is always something on my to-do list. Oh, thanks, Gretchen. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And today, Gretchen, I am the bearer of exciting news. Yes. We are having another live show. It's going to be Thursday, October 13th in Seattle. And that's uh, at 7.30 p.m. at Town Hall in Seattle. And we are super psyched. Yes, it's going to be so much fun. We had so much fun at our San Francisco event. So we're really excited to do it live um, again. And for people who want more information or want to buy tickets, uh, go to slate.com slash live. Tickets are $25. And um, we're so excited to be getting to do it live. And if you are coming to the live event, we're looking for audience members to share their manifestos with us. So if you have a manifesto that you want to share, email it to us and um, we might use it in our live show. That's right. It can be a, it can be a manifesto about life, work, marriage, family life, creativity, whatever it is. Uh, we talked about manifestos in episode 76. Um, and if you we've heard we've gotten great ones from people um, so much so that we want to shine a spotlight on them. So just email them at, to us at podcast at Gretchen if you're going to be able to be with us in Seattle. Yes. And now an update related to a listener question that we got in episode 78. 
Our listener, Allison, asked a question about how to deal with her distress at losing her engagement ring. And we got a very interesting email from Yuri. My friend who is a foreign correspondent used to have a solitaire diamond ring she bought herself. She always wore the ring wherever her assignments took her for several years. One day she realized that she was missing her ring when she was reporting abroad. She was very sad because it had sentimental value. She felt as if she had lost a war buddy. Then she thought maybe the ring sacrificed itself in order to protect her from something bad. In our culture, Japanese sometimes believe things can take your place in the event of a bad happening, such as an accident. It's totally a myth, but it's not too difficult to think that way. Maybe the listener who lost her wedding ring can think that her precious ring protected her from bad things. As Gretchen said, you can't change what happened, but we can change how we regard that event. So that's really fascinating, Gretchen, kind of beautiful. No, it is. And it really transforms the sense of loss because instead of it, instead of something just being kind of sort of lost, there's this idea of a sacrifice and that something precious to you has really kind of fulfilled its mission by trying to protect you. And as, she, and as Yuri says, it's not that you truly believe it, but that it can reframe the way you experience an event. And in that way, it can, it can make you, you know, look on it with a, with a happier mind. So it's, it's really a beautiful way of thinking about it. Thank you, Yuri. So Elizabeth, this week, our Try This At Home tip is to make a list or maybe make kind of a list. Mm. Now, to me, this is the first thing that I do when anything weighs on my mind. This is like so automatic for me. Like I'm I have lists constantly. <laughs> I'm constantly writing things down on lists, constantly checking them out. It's almost like to me, I wouldn't even think of this as being a Try This At Home. But it turns out that for some people, this is like a really good new novel kind of solution. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit, Gretchen, I never make lists. I mean, I make the only time I make lists is for the grocery store and occasionally <laughs> for packing. And that's like maybe once every two years I make a packing list. So I am not a list person. How do you do it? I mean, how do you not make a to-do list? Like, how do you remember anything? Well, what's weird is I'll, I've always had a really good memory. So I've always just remembered what I need to do. Um, and it hasn't been a problem. Although I will say I'm noticing as I get a little bit older that I am starting to forget things um, more often. So it may be time to start making to-do lists. Um, I guess I find them just oppressive. Ooh, that's interesting. Oppressive. Why? Because now you feel compelled to do it or or you just it, it distresses you to see the long list sitting in front of you or what yeah it kind of distresses me to see the list it's like now i have all these nagging lingering things out there um and i don't know why they're still nagging lingering things obviously if they're in my mind um, <laughs> but maybe they're things I guess when they're in my mind, though, I can sort of ignore them and not do them. But if they're on a piece of paper, yeah, it feels more necessary to actually complete the list. I don't know. Okay. Well, well, first of all, I would say as a morale booster, as somebody who makes lots of lists, you should always put things on the list that either have already been done or that you can do in the next five minutes mm. so that you start your list by quickly crossing things off. So that's an important thing. Oh, but I also wonder if your attitude towards the list partly reflects your tendency as an obliger. Mm. Because I'm an upholder and I love making to-do lists. And this is a very <laughs> common thing um, among upholders. And here's, here's what one upholder told me. He has a set of index cards in a special wallet. 
a green card for today's to-do list, a pink card for the week's to-do list, a yellow card for work-related items not captured on the green or pink card, and a white card for like long-term personal goals. Wow. You know, that's like to the extreme. Um, wow. But I think for obligers, and again, uh, uh, this is the tendencies that we're talking about. And if you want to take the quiz to know what your tendency is, it's you can go to happiercast.com slash quiz to take the quiz. But so for, for obligers, um, they feel they feel like a lot of pressure to meet outer expectations once those expectations are uh, are kind of articulated, but they don't have the expectation of meeting inner expectations. And so I wonder if once you put it on an out on a list, it feels like now you're obliged to do it in kind of a new pressury way that as long as mm-hmm. it's in your head, you don't feel like you have to do it. And so it feels much more burdensome. Is that is that your experience? I'm guessing so. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I will say, though, you sent me just this weekend a to-do list. Um, I know. That's right. I did. (laughs) And it was helpful. I was like, oh, there's the four things I need to do. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this list. Um, So I don't know. I might start making, where do you put your lists? Like, do you write them in your file of facts or like, where, where are these lists? Okay. Now this is a very important question. And I, I know that people are going to have like very passionate views about how to keep a to-do list. So you can buy actual things that are like pads of papers that are like pre to our to-do lists that are like, you know, pre-numbered and very elegant. You can do that. You can use, um, I have a notebook where often I will write a to-do list in the notebook so that I have a running record. I don't lose it for kind of very, uh, quick turnaround to do list. I'll just use a scrap of paper, which then I can throw away when everything's done. Um, so I think you have to do it. I think some people do it on their phone. There are apps for to-do lists. So I think it's whatever is easiest for you that it, it comes most naturally because what you want to do is make it as convenient as possible to keep these to-do lists. Oh, Gretch, I know the perfect uh, place for my to-do lists. Uh, my assistant, Brooke, just came back from a trip to Cuba, and she brought this little mini notebook for me um, and one for Sarah. And I've been wondering, what can I use this notebook for? And I think to-do list is the perfect thing because it's narrow and small, and I could just put it in my backpack. Perfect, perfect. And, and it gives you a good reason. Like, everybody needs a good reason to use these cunning little notebooks. And uh, and then you can see, you can keep a record of what you've done. Um, so that's so you'll have to report back on whether that works. Yes. Um, but here's the thing. Talking again about the tendencies, like how upholders and obligers might have different views about to-do lists. The people who really have issues with to-do lists are rebels. Mm. Because, of course, rebels resist outer expectations and inner expectations. So for them, to-do lists are something they 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 sometimes struggle against. So do, is there hope for them? Like, can they do anything on it? Or do they just not do to-do lists? Well, that's what's interesting is some rebels have, have written to me to explain how they have figured out how to harness the power of to-do lists, but in a way that doesn't ignite their rebel resistance. So one rebel hmm. said that she writes each task on a separate little scrap of paper. Then she folds up all the little pieces of paper and puts them in a bowl. Then I select one folded piece of paper at a time and do whatever task is written on it. I don't select another piece of paper until that task is completed. 
This makes it a fun game of chance. Mm. Also, I find that looking at the little pieces of folded paper feels less daunting than looking at a list of tasks. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah, she sort of turns it into a game. And then another rebel told me, I love this. She she said, I'm a rebel and a to-do list almost never gets done by me because as soon as I have to do something, it's the last thing I want to do. A could-do list, however, reminds me that I can choose whether or not I complete the task or not. So she remembers that it's a could-do list, not a to-do list. And again, I think that's a brilliant way of of reminding rebels they could do whatever they want. Um, So she's just saying, well, this is what I can do if I want to do it. If I feel like doing it, I can do it. And then that's how she gets it done. Brilliant. Nice. The other thing I'm thinking, Gretchen, is there must be a million apps for to-do lists. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. For people, like for some people, apps make things easier. And for you and I are kind of old school. I think for us, the little notebook is the way to go. But there's certainly apps for people who like to do that. I need to have it written down. That's the only way I can get it done. Yeah, I just don't like, even on your phone, there are places for memos and things like that. And I just don't like having to search for those things. Yeah. It just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. And here's another thing about um, where a to-do list can be helpful is that, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have trouble sleeping because I'm like thinking about all the things that I need to do, or I wake up in the middle of the night and my mind is racing with like, oh, I got to remember that. I can't forget that. And sleep experts suggest making a list, but doing it earlier in the day. And that way you can tell yourself, you know, those things are on my to-do list. I'm going to deal with that. I've got it memorialized. Um, So it's off your mind, but you do it earlier in the day. So you don't get yourself all riled up as you're trying to sleep, you know, by thinking Mm. about all the stuff that you have to do the next day. Oh, that's a good idea. That happened to me just last night. I woke up in the middle of the night thinking like, I have to fill out Jack's back to school picture form <laughs> and I have to fill his water bottle before I leave in the morning. Uh, so yeah, I I have those things swirling in my brain constantly. Yeah. So now you can put them in your little notebook and you will have a very much more peaceful mind as you head towards sleep. It's perfect. All right, I'm going to try this. So let us know if you use to-do lists or could-do lists, or you put your pieces of paper in a jar, or whatever method it is that you use, and and how you do it, how you track your to-do list. Um, Twitter, Facebook, uh, email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com, or as always, you can go to happiercast.com slash 82, this is episode 82, for anything related to this episode. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team 
and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So this week we have a happiness hack from uh, a listener, a very interesting happiness hack. This is from Carol and she says, my son recently turned one and we switched to buying milk as opposed to formula slash breast milk. In doing so, we have found ourselves having to go to the store to buy milk a lot. After weeks of having to run out and get milk when the situation became urgent, my husband had the greatest idea. He came home from running errands and said, whenever I am somewhere that has milk, I'm just going to buy it. It was such a light bulb moment for me. Whenever I am out, I just always buy milk. No need to worry how much is at home. Don't wait for the next time I am at the store. Just get it now. We'll use it. So simple, but it really just has changed the way I think. This could be applied to whatever in your house you are always running out of. Now, I think this is a great hack because because there are some things where you just like you don't need to have it officially go on the to do list. It's like on the standing to do list, and just by get by staying on top of it, you keep yourself from constantly like running out, needing to, and then the urgent thing. This is also kind of a underbuyer overbuyer thing because underbuyers often run out of stuff, and and like reminding yourself we're going to use it. So just go ahead and buy it. Yeah, this is definitely uh, something that comes up like with toilet paper for me. I feel like any time that I'm in a store and it's easy to like add toilet paper, just do it. Yeah, and I think this is this is probably more important for people even who live in New York City because we don't have a lot of storage space. So like I think in, if you have like a big garage or a big basement or something, you could buy like six months supply of paper towels or toilet right. paper or whatever. But for us, like there's no place to put big stores. So you kind of, you, you kind of have to have a just in time inventory type situation, but you don't want to run out of something like toilet paper. No, you don't. What about you guys? Is there anything though, even in your apartment that you are always needing to get? Well, I'll tell you what, for a while it was nuts because Jamie went through this period. We had a lot of nuts in our house. Um, uh, anyway, but there was a period where Jamie was literally eating like five pounds of nuts a day and we were just buying nuts left and right. There were just, just <laughs> like, you could not keep enough nuts in the house. And finally he was saying, he said to me, do you think I'm eating too many nuts? And I, I, I had to say, I think you're eating quite a lot of nuts and he has cut back. So now it's not as urgent a question as it was. Um, but there was a period where, you know, anytime he spotted them on the shelves, he would, he would put them in the basket. That's for sure. He introduced me to uh, jalapeno nuts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Delicious. So that's a great hack for just sort of staying on top of those those little errands that can be a drag, um, but if you just deal with it as you go, uh, it never becomes an urgent problem. So thank you very much for that hack, Carolyn. 
And now listen, it's time for our better than before habit strategy. So as I was writing my book, Better Than Before, I was identifying all the strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. And I have to admit that the strategy of identity um, was one of the strategies that was the most difficult for me to uh, identify. Some were very obvious, like the strategy of monitoring. And this was the one, one of the ones that I didn't understand how powerful it was for a long time. And it's about how your identity can influence how hard or easy it is to form a habit. So what does that mean, your identity? Well, so one of the things that puzzled me as I was writing about habits was, you know, a lot of times people would say, this is a really important habit for me to change. I really, really, really want to change this habit. And yet they were completely frustrated. You know, they, for some reason, they just couldn't make progress. Um, I think we've all experienced that. And it's, it's frustrating, but it's also sort of mysterious. Like, why is this? And I realized that a lot of times when that happens, it's because at the foundation, there's some issue with identity that a person has an identity that is in conflict with the habit that's to be formed. And this sounds kind of abstract and confusing, but it's, but it's not in practice once I recognized it. So for instance, I had a friend who was like, she wanted to cut back on her drinking. She didn't want to quit drinking, but she just wanted to drink less because she felt better and healthier and got up in the morning and everything if she drank. But she, but she was like, but I'm Italian. And part of being an Italian is loving wine and fun and saying, bring it on. And, and, and so her, her idea of being Italian was in conflict or like maybe it's a person where they want to become tidier, but their idea is like creative people are messy. And so if I'm a creative person. So my, my messiness is an essential part of my creativity. But so then if they want to become neater, then there's this conflict. Their identity is in conflict with this habit that's going to be changed. Yeah, I think that must happen all the time, right? I mean, like, especially for creative types, I would imagine, or maybe I just say that because I am a creative type, but like <laughs> saying, like in the area of wanting to go to bed earlier, it's like, you could say like, well, I want to go to bed earlier, but I write at night. Like that's, you know, when my creative juices are flowing. Right. Or you even just have the idea that like, you're the kind of person who stays up late. You're not the kind of person who goes to bed at 10 PM because you have an association um, one of the most striking examples of, of somebody talking about this was um, I was reading the letters of James Agee uh, to Father Fly. And James Agee is the very well-known novelist. He wrote Death in the Family and all this. And so this was this very striking thing that he wrote in a letter. So he wrote it when he was 41 years old in 1951, and he had had really bad heart trouble. He'd been hospitalized at a young age, 41, and he'd been told by his doctors that he needed you know, no surprise to cut back on his drinking and smoking, mm -hmm. which he did a lot of. But this is what A.G. wrote to Father Fly. He said, I'm depressed because whether I am to live a very short time or a relatively longer time depends on whether or not I can learn to be the kind of person I am not and have always detested. Mm. So the, the fact is for A.G., his identity was he's a drinker. He's a smoker. That's the kind of person he was. And to not be that kind of person meant that he was the kind of person that he'd always detested. And in fact, A.G. didn't change. And he died at, at age 45 in a, of a heart attack on his way to see the doctor. Wow. So, you know, the, this can go very deeply to our ability to change habits, very important habits, um, if there's this problem with our identity. So what do you do, Gretchen, if you have this? Because it's uh, how do you change your identity? 
Well, I think the key thing for people is to really recognize that there's some kind of conflict because a lot of times you don't realize like, oh, you know, like I want to, like on the one hand, you might pride yourself on your identity as a workaholic. But then on the other hand, you're telling yourself, well, well, I really want to stop working at 630 or I really want to stop emailing on the weekends. Well, you have to grapple with the fact that there's a conflict there. Um, or somebody, I remember somebody emailed me saying like, my identity was that I was this baker, but then I realized like that all this baking was like having all these bad effects on my health. And I had to really grapple with the idea that I was going to relinquish this identity because sometimes it's painful. You have to let go of yourself as, oh, I'm the life of the party, or I'm the kind of cool person who stays up till 2am every night, or, or it, it can be painful, but you, so you have to recognize it. But here's the thing, because we were talking earlier about the four tendencies, um, whether you're an upholder, questioner, obliger, or rebel, this is a place that is really helpful for rebels to change habits. Because a lot of times rebels struggle to change habits because it's hard for them to meet outer and inner expectations. Mm. So here's the thing. For rebels, their core values are identity, freedom, choice, and and self-expression, authenticity. And so a lot of times rebels have told me they are able to form a habit or to have a kind of a habit-like behavior if it's a core part of their identity, if they see the habit as not binding them, but allowing them to express their true selves. So maybe a rebel doesn't want the habit of showing up at 9.30 a.m. for a stupid staff meeting um, because they don't like to be bound to a schedule like that. But if they think, well, my identity is that I'm a, I'm a strong leader, or I'm a forceful participant in the workplace, then they can because they see that habit as being a reflection of who they are. Or like, uh, yeah, I don't like showing up for carpool on time every week, but I'm a considerate parent and I know it upsets my child if I'm late. And so I can do this because it's an expression of my core identity. And so for rebels, the strategy of identity is actually one of the strongest strategies that they can use in order to shape their habits. But for everybody, I think it can be it can be really helpful to think through how your identity might be undermining your ability to form a habit if you find yourself like constantly frustrated by something. It's almost like if you have an identity that's in conflict with wanting to change a habit, you need to think of a higher identity that you care about more, right? Absolutely. That is a perfect way to put it, which is like, this, this, there's this identity that's in conflict with a value. And now you're going to find like the deeper identity, the higher identity. That's a perfect way to put it. And so now that's going to be your new, that's going to be the identity that's going to drive you. But once you recognize that conflict, then you can say, this is the identity that's the more important to me. Or maybe that identity was important to me at one time, but now I'm moving into a new part of my life and a new identity is going to take its place. So yes, very well put. So this isn't one of the more obvious habit strategies, Scratch, but it's definitely an important one. Now, Elizabeth, now it's time for a listener question. All right, Gretchen, this week our question comes from Kelly, and she is a fellow Kansas Cityan. Yes, yes. So she's got a question about clutter. She says, I'm starting to clean out a guest room for baby number two, and the closet is almost completely full of gift bags that people have given me that I think I could use again. It's tough to throw them away because they are a few bucks each when you buy them new. I have another Christmas-themed stash in my basement. I could put these gift bags down there, but I kind of hate going to my unfinished basement and don't want to just move clutter around the house. I guess I'm also torn because I'd love to be the type of person to have a present wrapped and presented thoughtfully rather than thrown in a used gift bag. I don't know how realistic this is with two little ones at home. Um, so the question is about like the large amounts of gift bags. <laughs> yes. 
I always try to save gift bags. And I rarely use them again. Oh, see, I use them all the time. In fact, it's funny that she has an ambivalent feeling about gift bags because to me, like gift bags is like so exciting and thrilling. And like I would use that as a happiness hack to use gift bags because I love the fact that they're reusable. I love the fact that you just stick the gift in there with a little tissue paper and it looks great. Um, so I, 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 I gloat over my hoard of gift bags. I love them. <laughs> yeah, I... Um... I think she should maybe say for the next year, at least, she's going to use gift bags because she's going to have a newborn and uh, and another child. I mean, I just think it's like call this the year of gift bags. Well, and also um, there's the, the there's the idea of the fantasy self, you know, which we've talked about before, which is like you have this fantasy self who does things beautifully. And so maybe she has a fantasy self who would have beautiful wrapping paper and tie elegant ribbons and everything, but that's just not realistic. And I think that this is a place where to be realistic about what you're going to do. If you really aren't going to do that, then embrace the gift bag as like an excellent other solution. And I don't think people look at it as being no lame. I love gift bags and then they can reuse them. <laughs> No, I think people like getting gift bags for just that reason. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is I think what she should do is if the bag is damaged, just throw it out. Because yeah. I think a lot of times you get a gift bag and you go, well, I could probably use this again. But in reality, you're never going to use it again because you're going to feel like, oh, you don't want to give someone, you know, a slightly torn gift bag. So she might be able to clear out some of them so she doesn't feel so overwhelmed by the number. Well, and this is a good place where you don't want to, we've talked before about stockpiling. Like you don't want to have like 40 mugs and you don't want to have like a hundred uh, plastic containers. And if you have, and she sounds like she's got a lot of gift bags. So maybe she wants to go through, take the ones that she really wants to use again and like sort of in, in a variety of sizes and then re-gift the gift bags to somebody who could use them so that she doesn't have, she's not, because it sounds like they're taking up quite a lot of space and space that she needs. Your gift bag should not take up that much space. You don't need that right. many gift bags. But the thing is, it's always the trick of the right size gift bag, isn't it? That's what I find frustrating. <laughs> yeah. It's like too small or it's yeah, like yeah. so so big yeah. that you have this little present at the bottom. Yeah, or it's like the the theme is too young or the theme is holiday or, you know, yeah. No, it is. You've got to have a lot of gift bags to have the, the right gift bag for the occasion. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> So thanks, Kelly, for that question, and congratulations on your new baby. <laughs> Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. 
Okay, Gretch, it is time for demerits and gold stars, and you are up this week with a happiness demerit. Now, this is a very simple demerit that I have to give myself, but I deserve it, and I want to learn from it, which is when I am printing on a document, I need to check the paper as it's printing. This sounds so obvious, and like as a writer, I'm constantly printing out documents, and it's not uncommon that I will print out a massive document. Like I'm working on my book about the four tendencies, and so I thought, I need to print it out and, and edit it on hard copy because, as I think every writer would agree, you pick up totally different things in hard copy than you do if you're editing on the screen. So yes. at a certain point, you have to have the hard copy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm printing out this gigantic document. I mean, hundreds of pages. And I know from experience perfectly well that as much as I think, oh, what can go wrong when you're just printing a document, like you need to check. And like I've had things where I forgot to turn off track changes. So the text was itty bitty because mm -hmm. it had left all that room for the track changes column on the right side. And sure enough, this time I was printing it out and my toner ran out and it didn't beep or do anything. It just kept printing. But then when I checked on it, you know, like when the document was halfway through, it it was unreadable mm. because like half the page was whited out because there wasn't enough toner. And I was just kicking myself. It was such a waste. Mm -hmm. And I know perfectly well. It's just one of those little things that, you know, it, it goes wrong enough times that how how hard is it? It's so simple to just check the paper and make sure everything, you know, periodically as it's printing and printing and printing and make sure that it's working out right. I would add to that, make sure there's enough paper in the printer before you start printing and that it's the paper you want, whether it's three hole punch or non three hole. Yeah, it's just check the paper before entering an important print job. Okay, so that's my demerit. Elizabeth, that it like take us out of the out of the mud into your gold star. What's your gold star? Well, my gold star, Gretchen, is about our breakfast nook. Um, we when we lived, we lived in our house maybe uh, at least eight years at this point. And from the minute we moved in, we wanted to like build a banquette um, in our little breakfast area and have a table and just have a nice seating area there. And for the last eight years, we've just had this like old table and chairs that Adam had in, like his bachelor <laughs> apartment that was, you know, just the most plain um, <laughs> kind of sad table and chairs. And um, we finally have our breakfast nook almost completed. We still have to install the light. Um, we've ordered it, but um, it looks great. I love it. Um, it's making me so happy on a daily basis. Uh, and I feel now like almost like an adult because I have my nice breakfast. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm in my forties. I'm finally approaching adulthood. <laughs> so my gold star, you know, I've talked a lot about our ongoing renovation, but this part of it is basically complete. Um, so I'm giving a gold star to our new breakfast nook. And all that went into it and everyone who helped make it happen. <laughs> well, gold star to the breakfast nook. Elizabeth, uh, send me a photo and I will post it on happiercast.com slash 82 for everybody who wants to take a look at this, this ecstatic uh, producing breakfast nook. Um, I'm sure people will be curious to see what it looks like. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Use a to-do list uh, or whatever your version of a to-do list might be and let us know how it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Get in touch. 
Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Hey, we want to take a minute to thank everyone who's taken the time to rate or review us on iTunes. You get a big gold star for that. It's a big help. And if you would like to rate or review us, which really does help us out, um, and you want some quick, easy instructions about how to do it, I'll put a link in the show notes at happiercast.com slash 82. And I also want to remind you that if you have a great manifesto um, and you're going to be at our live show in Seattle on October 13th, please email your manifesto to us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Um, and maybe we'll get to talk about it with you in front of the live audience. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.